0: That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. The Apatani warrior had been tracking a singha, an Indian deer, through the muddy swamp all day. After hours of hearing nothing but lapping water and his own heavy footsteps, he was surprised when suddenly something started snuffling noisily in the muck.
1: Pulling aside a mat of reeds he uncovered a small reptilian creature with a long neck scratching at the ground, looking for food. It was a newborn Buru, and it was alone.
0: With barely a thought, the warrior plunged his spear into the creature's belly. There was no need to hunt the Barasingha now. He'd found dinner.
1: Later that night, after the warrior returned home with the young Buru's body, He began to hear strange noises coming from outside, splashes and animal cries. Without warning, the entire building started to shake. The warrior grabbed his spear and ran to the door. Outside, a giant
0: buru with sharp fangs whipped its powerful tail into the supports that held up the house. It was the baby's mother, back for her revenge.
1: According to Apatani legend, the mother Buru viciously yanked the warrior and his home into the depths of the murky swamp, never to be seen again.
0: But was this a true account of the Buru's behavior? Or was the whole tale and the Buru itself just another story?
1: Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life,
0: there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar.
1: At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast
0: Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really
1: does help. This is our final episode on the Buru, a giant, mysterious reptile set to lurk in the swamps of Assam, India. In 1948, zoologist Charles Stoner, journalist Rafe Izzard, and cameraman Frank Hodgkinson led an expedition deep into the northern Indian jungle in search of the obscure creature.
0: Last week, we followed the expedition through the mountainous jungle to find Rilo Valley, the rumored home of the Buru. While they didn't find the animal in Rilo, they hoped that it still lived in some other unexplored valley.
1: This week, we'll explore the evidence the expedition collected and try to uncover the truth behind the legend of the Buru. Did they ever really dwell in Rilo Valley? and? Could it still be living in India today?
0: Charles Stoner, Rafe Izzard, and Frank Hodgkinson spent weeks in Rilo Valley, India, waiting for the buru to appear. But by late May of 1948, there was still no sign of the creature. They had no choice but to leave or risk being stranded
1: without supplies during the rainy season. Even as they departed Rilo in defeat, Rafe Izzard was already planning a way to salvage his story. He hoped they could journey to the nearby Zero Valley, where ancient Buru bones were supposedly buried. But by the time
0: they made it back to the city of Shillong at the end of May, their story had beaten them there. Perhaps a Dafla porter had been talking, or someone had leaked the expedition details back in April before they even left civilization.
1: Either way, they'd been scooped. The exclusive Buru story Izzard was supposed to bring back for the Daily Mail was already in competing papers. On May 5th, while the expedition was still in Rilo, the Hindustan Times ran an article about rumors of a giant dinosaur lizard eating treetops in Assam. Soon,
0: more hearsay was published. One journalist claimed that the creature was related to the abominable snowman of the upper Himalayas. Before long, stories
1: of the fearsome Buru caused a panic.
0: Tea planters hired armed guards to patrol their fields and protect their crops from marauding swamp lizards. The Assam Rifles, a specialized task force of the Indian Army, was dispatched to the edges of the jungle.
1: Journalists and adventure seekers alike flooded into Shillong, hoping to mount their own expeditions to bring the Buru out of hiding.
0: But in 1948, in the face of all this attention, Stoner... Izard and Hodgkinson couldn't help but feel like failures. The mystery reptile had eluded them, and
1: now there was a chance someone else could find it first. Despite all this, Rafe Izard was still optimistic. Even though they hadn't found any burus in Rilo, he was certain that the creatures had existed at some point, perhaps even recently, in the Assamese backcountry.
0: Izard offered the following theory. Our verdict, after much thought, was that there is no longer a Buru at Rilo, but that one probably existed there until quite recent times, until long after the Burus of the Apatani tradition had been killed off.
1: He went on to say, The Burus of Rilo, in fact, may have existed until the time when the Doflas first began cultivating the jungle-covered sides of the swamp, say, ten years ago. Once the surrounding mountainsides had been cleared of water-holding trees, the process of silting up within the swamp itself would be vastly accelerated, and this may have denied the Buru any possibility of further existence.
0: Basically, Izard believed the Dafla's deforestation of the hillsides and draining of the swamp had destroyed the Buru's habitat. The area was no longer able to flood as it used to during the rainy season, and the beasts were forced to leave or perish.
1: The daflas of Rilo claimed that they'd seen the animals basking in the water during sunny days in years before.
0: Izzard surmised that they must have seen the creatures in the early years before all the trees were gone and just took it for granted that they still lived in the marsh. Everyone knew the summer rains brought out the Burus, so they continued to believe they were living in the valley.
1: It wasn't until the expedition came looking for them that the Dauflas realized that the Burus had been driven off or died out due to habitat destruction.
0: Jumjar, a traveling Dafla leader and the doflas appointed government representative, weighed in on the issue. According to him, the Doflas had not seen a Buru during 1948 or possibly any recent year. If any Burus had been in Rilo Valley, they were gone now. But maybe they were still thriving
1: elsewhere. At the end of his book, The Hunt for the Buru, Izard expressed his desire to go on another expedition in search of the animal. He spoke about trekking from Rilo Valley through the jungle back to Zero Valley, where the Apatanis lived. Izard
0: still believed that he could find the creature, or at least some trace of it, in one of the many small swamps and marshes dotting the landscape. He hoped to finally meet the Apatanis himself and perhaps exhume the four Buru burial sites scattered around Zero Valley.
1: Alas, this trek was never
0: to be. There's not an official explanation as to why Izzard never traveled to the Apatanis or attempted to explore the area between Zero and Rilo. After he published The Hunt for the Buru in 1951, Izard doesn't seem to have published another word on the subject at all.
1: Most likely, Izard couldn't secure any financial backing for another trip. The Daily Mail funded the 1948 excursion with no real results. Not only that, they'd been scooped. The Hindustan Times started publishing unverified reports about the Buru before Izard was even back from the jungle.
0: Without the support of his employer, Izzard was never able to return to the jungles of Assam to find the beast. But maybe there was nothing for him to find.
1: In the months after his expedition, dozens more explorers and journalists set out from Shillong. Spurred by the reports in the Hindustan Times of giant lizards stalking the Himalayan ridges, these intrepid reporters and scientists ranged across Assam, trying to find the Buru.
0: Not one was successful. Much like the initial expedition, no other explorers were able to find any evidence of the Buru in Assam.
1: Did it ever exist? Based on hard evidence, probably not. Stoner, Izzard, and Hodgkinson never found a live buru. They also never found bones, skin, dung, or any other indicators of an undiscovered reptile living in the marshes of Assam.
0: As for the other swamps dotting the landscape between Zero and Relo, no formal expeditions have ever been sent to explore them.
1: It certainly seems that the buru, if it ever existed, does not live in a psalm today. And it's difficult to take Izzard's theory that the beast once lived and then, when extinct, at face value, when absolutely no evidence of the creature has ever been found.
0: But we can't definitively say that the Buru never existed at all. The Buru was an integral part of the Apatani's oral tradition for generations before Charles Stoner ever heard of it.
1: Which brings us to a new possibility. If the Buru didn't exist, something had to inspire these stories, even if it was just an expression of old legends and cultural anxieties.
0: What if, instead of a real creature, the Buru was something more mythical?
1: Next, we'll dive deeper into the lore surrounding the Buru of Assam. Now, back to the story.
0: After a failed expedition in 1948 to find the elusive Buru, journalist Rafe Izard was still confident that the creature might live in the dank jungles of Assam. But
1: Izard was too caught up in his own hopes to take a look at the bigger picture. There was another, much more plausible answer. The Buru was an Apatani legend that his imagination had brought to life. What set many
0: of the indigenous tribes in Assam apart from one another were their distinctive cultures and belief systems. Groups like the Poroik, Apatanis, and Daflas all lived in the same area of India, but had their own entirely unique ways of life, art, and social structure.
1: As we mentioned last week, the Apatanis of Zero Valley, where Burus were said to roam long ago, were incredibly isolated. Zero Valley is ringed on all sides by a range of Himalayan peaks.
0: The Apatanis, therefore, have a special relationship with the land and have historically practiced conservationist agriculture. Due to careful consideration in their cultivation practices, they were able to live off the bounty of the valley without the need for outside
1: goods. Save for occasional trading with the nomadic Doflas, the Apatanis rarely left Zero Valley. When Stoner visited them, Izzard noted, though they are in India, many have never seen an Indian, let alone a white man.
0: The tribespeople Stoner spoke to hadn't even heard of Mahatma Gandhi, who'd helped lead India to its independence just a year before in 1947.
1: All of this means that, with no outside influence or knowledge, the Apatani stories of a legendary swamp monster could have taken on a life of their own. Over time, later generations came to believe that the burus of myth were actually real.
0: But then there's the question of where those tales came from initially. We can try to answer this by comparing their oral traditions to those of other valleys like Zero, which are scattered throughout northern Assam. Many have swamps and deep pools, each with their own mythological significance.
1: In his research, Izard found that some of the other local tribes had legends and stories about particular pools. Many were said to be the dwellings of spirits.
0: On their expedition to Rilo Valley, many of the local Daflas were reluctant to get close to certain grottos and pools of water near the swamp. They told the expedition that they were homes to evil and vengeful supernatural beings who would punish them for trespassing.
1: The spirits that were said to live in the pools and marshes were often formless, non-corporeal entities. They were not tangible, solid creatures. Large, heavy, physically imposing
0: Burus bore little in common with these sorts of spirits, but the idea of magical water-dwellers may have combined with other legends, those of dragons.
1: The Buru certainly fit some descriptions of dragons. They were giant, reptilian creatures with incredible strength.
0: They were intelligent and could enact vengeance, like in the story of the mother Buru pulling the warrior's house down after he killed her baby.
1: While they didn't fly, according to the Apotanis, they were able to magically survive buried deep under the swamp for the dry season. Then, burus emerged like springtime flowers when the rains came once more.
0: The dragon myth has appeared in many cultures around the world. Stories of these creatures are part of the cultural fabric of China, England, Scandinavia, and the Middle East.
1: That the archetype crosses into so many distinct cultures is remarkable. Dragons have flown across borders, through language barriers, and into books worldwide but they've never existed. So why is it that they're so universal?
0: There are two prevailing schools of thought when it comes to the pervasive nature of the dragon myth. The first, according to anthropologist David E. Jones, is that the dragon sprang from humanity's shared instinctive fear of snakes.
1: Jones argues that this fear morphed over time into the stories of violent, monstrous dragons.
0: Perhaps the origin of the Burus was similar to this. It was a magical creature inspired by real dangers the Apatani's forefathers had to face. Swamps in India are known for varied and dangerous reptilian fauna, including snakes and crocodiles.
1: The other argument made by historian Adrian Mayor in her book, The First Fossil Hunters, is that fossils have influenced draconic myths. Humans made up dragon stories to explain the preserved bones of dinosaurs and other prehistoric animals that they uncovered.
0: The term dinosaur wasn't even coined until 1842, but humans discovered fossils for generations before that. A giant, powerful supernatural creature like a dragon would be a good explanation for the massive bones that early explorers found.
1: Whichever explanation you believe, for thousands of years, humans thought the dragons existed. The stories were repeated so often and woven so tightly into cultural memory that dragons were, at times, thought to be real creatures all over the world. The Buru could
0: be a microcosm of the dragon myth. There was a precedent in the area for tales of supernatural swamp creatures with powers the evil spirits in the
1: pools. The apatanis may have come up with their own type of water spirit. This one, however, was a scaly, powerful, vengeful monster. The Buru combined features of fearful reptiles with the magical aspects of mythical water sprites. And their legendary
0: creature must have seemed unquestionably real when Apatanis unearthed bones that perfectly matched the monster from their stories.
1: In Zero Valley, the Apatanis showed zoologist Charles Stoner four different sites where they claimed burus were buried.
0: But Stoner never actually dug the mounds up. The Apatanis wouldn't let him desecrate the graves and no other expedition was mounted to check what was buried
1: there. There's no telling what was actually under the mounds. Could it have been dinosaur bones, bison skeletons, or nothing at all?
0: Unfortunately, we don't know because Stoner didn't know. And in the years since his expedition, there's been no report of anyone excavating the burial sites in Rilo Valley.
1: Without some kind of hard physical evidence, the Buru could very well have been a mythical beast that Stoner mistook for a real animal.
0: This argument, while very
1: convincing, is not without its flaws. In his book, The Hunt for the Buru, Izard related how Stoner was certain that the Buru had to be a real animal, convinced by the Apatani's and Dafla's descriptions that this had to be the case. He dismissed any notion it was a legendary beast. Stoner was a nationally recognized
0: zoologist and ethnologist with a specialty in the Assam region. Izard had been a journalist for almost 17 years at the time he went on the 1948 expedition.
1: With their combined experience, they were gifted at parsing out facts from fiction and they were convinced that the Apatanis didn't believe the Buru was a spirit. Instead, they maintained that it was a normal, living creature, as tangible as the buffalo that wandered through their valley.
0: There was compelling circumstantial evidence that pointed to the beast's existence. For one thing, the Apatanis weren't the only people who claimed to have seen it.
1: Ten years before the expedition, Daflas moved into Rilo Valley. 50 miles away, Rilo is incredibly similar to Zero Valley in terms of topography. Like Zero, Rilo was filled with a massive swamp when the Dauflas arrived.
0: The Dauflas claimed that they found creatures living in the marshes that they, too, called burus. Their description of these animals was surprisingly similar to the swamp monsters of Zero Valley, complete with long necks and tails, horse cries, and reptilian bodies.
1: Even though the expedition was unable to find evidence of burus in Rilo Valley, the Doflas were adamant that they'd once lived there. They claimed they were often seen during their first few years in the valley, when the Doflas cultivated the hilltops overlooking the water.
0: While they hadn't spotted a buru in the past year, they still believed the animals lived in the valley. It was a fact of life in Rilo, a marker of the changing seasons, like the bamboo growing in spring or the rains coming in April.
1: Burus were not a legendary beast to the Doflas. Having been in the valley no longer than a decade, they didn't have enough time to establish and pass down an oral tradition of a monster the way the Apatani's had.
0: This is perhaps one of the greatest pieces of evidence in favor of the existence of the Buru. It's unlikely that the Daflas simply invented the creature out of thin air. And with the Yapatanis being so isolated, it's hard to believe that their story spread 50 miles to Rilo. Even if it did, it's improbable that the Dafflas then took it on faith that Burus lived in their swamp too without ever seeing one.
1: To add to this evidence, there are tales of other, almost identical creatures floating around the Indian subcontinent.
0: 2,000 miles away from Rilo Valley, in the northwestern Indian state of Gujarat, there is an area called Gir National Park. This forested land is home to Asiatic lions, leopards, wild boars, crocodiles, and monitor lizards. In the early 20th century, it was rumored to be home to another legendary giant reptile,
1: the Jur of Gear. It was supposedly a lizard that was 20 feet long, semi-aquatic, and shared its marshland habitat with saltwater crocodiles. It has also never been found.
0: The similarities between the Jur of Gear and the Buru are startling. They hail from opposite sides of India but sound like the exact same beast. They are both giant reptiles with four legs that lurk in Indian swamps.
1: Something inspired people an entire subcontinent away to tell stories of a creature that bears a striking similarity to the Buru. It's unlikely that the same legend spontaneously sprang up across multiple unrelated cultures with barely any contact.
0: Therefore, it's very hard to say that the buru was a completely mythical animal. While there are a lot of convincing points for this theory, Stoner, Izard, the Apatanis, and the Dafla all thought the creature was real.
1: And maybe it was. Perhaps the Apatanis didn't come up with a buru after discovering long-fossilized dinosaur bones. Maybe those bones were much more recent.
0: Instead of a fantastical dragon, perhaps Burus were a very real dinosaur that terrorized Assam well
1: into the modern age. Coming up, we'll find out which terrifying creatures could have been stalking the dark Himalayan jungles. Now, back to the story.
0: The Buru is still an enigma today, over 50 years after an expedition set out into the jungle to find it. According to journalist Rafe Izzard, the Buru was a real creature that simply went extinct shortly before they could find it.
1: Others believe that the Buru never really existed at all and was actually a mythological creature. According to this theory, The Buru was a folktale that Charles Stoner and Rafe Izzard mistook for a real animal.
0: So, did this giant reptile creature really live among the Daflas and the Apatanis? If it did, its immense size wasn't some sort of strange anomaly. It sounds incredible, but this wasn't the first time a giant reptile or lizard lived among humans.
1: When the first people landed in Australia 65,000 years ago, they found the continent to be an exceedingly dangerous place. One of the apex predators of the landmass was the colossal Megalania, a venomous monitor lizard said to be 20 to 30 feet long.
0: The Megalania was not a true dinosaur, but a species of megafauna that lived during the Pleistocene era, more commonly known as the Ice Age. It shared the Australian continent with predatory marsupial lions and giant diprotodons, which were enormous ancestors to the wombat.
1: Megalania, also referred to as the Ripper Lizard, was the largest terrestrial lizard to have ever existed. It lived side-by-side with humans in Australia for thousands of years until it went extinct approximately 50,000 years ago.
0: While this is clearly a prehistoric example, it serves to illustrate the truly incredible creatures that have flourished alongside humans on this Earth. And other more recent stories reveal that similar, seemingly impossible creatures have thrived right under humanity's nose.
1: In 1909, when explorer and African big-game hunter Carl Hagenbeck published his autobiography, Beasts and Men, one particular story captured the public's attention. In
0: Rhodesia, now modern-day Zimbabwe, something monstrous stalked the shores of a remote lake. Whatever it was, it had to be big. It was snacking on hippos, normally the top of the African food chain
1: stories had circulated around the area for years about a creature living in the jungle that was supposedly half elephant and half dragon. The beast was aquatic but could also walk on land, had an incredibly long neck, muscular tail, and a large horn on its head.
0: Hagenbeck speculated that the Rhodesian animal must be some sort of living dinosaur, most likely a type of brontosaurus. However, he never located the animal himself and died a few years later of a snake bite.
1: But the story of the half-elephant, half-dragon was widely disseminated. Soon, more articles were published about dinosaurs discovered in other Central and Southern African nations like Zambia and the Congo. In
0: 1913, reports from Cameroon spoke of a similar creature to Hagenbeck's. The Mokele Mbembe, as it was called, was terrorizing the jungle.
1: In 2001 a BBC film crew interviewed a tribe of indigenous Biaka people in the Congo about the Mokele Mbembe. During the course of filming, the crew showed the interviewees a field guide of known African animals. The crew
0: was surprised when many of the Biaka interviewees pointed out the Mokele Mbembe in the field guide. The long-necked, single-horned creature of legend was actually... The African rhino.
1: The documentary crew theorized that the stories about the creature were really a mix of folklore and a cultural memory of the African rhino, which had lived in that area of the Congo hundreds of years before. The tribe's ancestors who remembered the rhino had passed down a description of it through stories of the Mokele Mbembe.
0: This story is a good reminder that legends and myths sometimes have simple explanations, and the Buru might also have a similar resolution.
1: Was it a real dinosaur living among the Apatanis? Could it have been a cultural memory of another creature, as with the Mokele Mbembe? Or was it something else entirely?
0: Stoner and Izard themselves puzzled over other possible explanations for the animal. For a while, Stoner theorized that the beasts may just have been swamp turtles, but then realized that those turtles would be spotted leaving the marsh to lay eggs.
1: Another theory they dismissed was that the valley was once home to giant lungfish. These long, eel-like fish have fascinated scientists due to their unique characteristics.
0: Like the buru, lungfish live in freshwater and can also breathe air. They have two pairs of long, tapered fins in the same place that land creatures would have their front and back legs.
1: However, lungfish are much smaller than the monster the Apatani's described, with the longest ever recorded being just over four feet long. In addition, while ancient lungfish were wide-ranging, today they're only found in Africa, South America, and Australia.
0: Stoner and Izard also considered that the buru may actually be a sort of rare or extinct swamp crocodile. There is an animal that fits its description called the mugger, or marsh crocodile. It lives in southern Iran, Pakistan, and India.
1: The mugger crocodile dwells in marshes, feeds on live birds, fish, and mammals, and burrows into the dirt to hibernate during the winter dry season. The mugger also has a long snout, a powerful tail, and
0: short, clawed feet that help it dig like a mole. It sounds strikingly similar to the buru. However, Charles Stoner asked the Apatanis about just this possibility—
1: His interviewees were familiar with the concept of crocodiles and alligators, although many of them had never seen one. They claimed that the Buru was a completely different creature.
0: While Stoner believed them, it's still possible they were mistaken. After all, the Apatani's were isolated. The Buru could have been a misidentified crocodile.
1: Since the Apatanis were never confronted with the mugger crocodile the way the biaka were with the African rhino, it's hard to be definitively sure that the buru wasn't some ordinary, already-discovered creature.
0: In spite of these factors, it's possible, even likely, that burus are just ordinary animals like mugger crocodiles. Over the years, the stories of these crocodiles may have heightened them to mythic status among the Apatanis, and this is the tale they related to Charles Stoner.
1: This would wrap the issue up neatly, but the truth is there is only as much evidence for the mugger-crocodile theory as any of the other ones we've discussed. The Buru could be a myth, a dinosaur, or any other extinct creature, or perhaps The species is still alive, but well-hidden from explorers and awaiting discovery.
0: Such things aren't unheard of. In 1938, a fisherman in South Africa pulled a coelacanth out of the ocean roughly 65 million years after it was supposed to have gone extinct.
1: A coelacanth is a bony fish many scientists refer to as a living fossil, as before its 1938 rediscovery... It was thought to have died out in the late Cretaceous period. This is just one example suggesting that it's perfectly possible for scientists and explorers to have completely overlooked a living species. Stoner and Izar didn't just think the
0: Buru was real. They banked their careers on this belief, and the Buru wasn't the last legendary creature they sought to discover living in the real world.
1: In 1954, Rafe Izzard and Charles Stoner reunited on a Daily Mail-funded trek through Nepal in search of the Yeti. Much like the Buru expedition, they were certain they would find evidence of the strange, abominable snowman. In fact, the impetus for the trip was the discovery of a reported Yeti scalp at a monastery in the Nepalese village of Pangbuche.
0: Again, like in the Buru investigation, they were unable to find any discernible proof of the Yeti. While Stoner examined the scalp and reported it did belong to a type of junior abominable snowman, this claim
1: was never substantiated. In both the Buru and the abominable snowman expeditions, Stoner and Izard were perhaps too open to fantastic stories.
0: In the years since their expedition, most reputable scientists and biologists have declared that it is impossible for the yeti to be roaming along the Himalayan ridges.
1: The strands of hair from the scalp that Stoner brought to England for analysis were inconclusive. The footprints he found in the snow were dismissed out of hand. Unfortunately, with the yeti, it seemed like Isard and Stoner's excitement clouded their scientific judgment.
0: Could the same thing have happened on their trek to find the Buru? It's possible Izzard came to his conclusion that the Buru existed due to the sunk cost fallacy. He'd invested so much time, money, and effort into the expedition that he couldn't accept that
1: it all had been for nothing. Instead, he preferred to believe that the animal was real, but had gone extinct. This notion is
0: just as possible as other popular theories, like that the buru still lives today hidden in the jungle, or that it's a mythical spirit invented to explain unearthed fossils, or even that the buru is simply a mugger crocodile.
1: Without proof, who are we to say? Perhaps one day soon, with all the new technology we have at our disposal, someone in modern-day India will stumble across evidence of a buru. Until then, it will stay in the realm of Himalayan myth where black tigers and fearsome yetis roam.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back Thursday with a new episode. For more information on the 1948 expedition, amongst the many sources we used, we found Rafe Izzard's book, The Hunt for the Buru, extremely helpful to our research.
1: You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other podcast Originals for free on Spotify.
0: Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, But now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Unexplained Mysteries for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
1: To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar.
0: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. See you next Thursday. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer.
1: Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Joel Stein. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode was written by Molly Quinlan and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rosner.